Yes. I can see you. <laughs> hey. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hey. Good hey. evening, except for Ben, I guess it's good afternoon for you. It is midday. It's midday. exactly midday. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah. So How's today, it going? Yeah, good. Everybody okay? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Good. Things considered. <laughs> Still here. Still here. <laughs> so Somehow. today um, we have a, an actual um, subject for the talk because. Um, a few times in the past few episodes, um, uh, the subject of uh, live coding has come up and uh, we got quite a bit of questions about that. And I'm not an expert in the field at all. Uh, in fact, I don't know much about it. Uh, uh, I kind of understand it, but um, um, the three people here with me are um, experts in the field. And um, so we're going to talk about live coding and algorave and um, uh, title cycles um, and um, I should do a little shout out to the people in the in the chat um, if you're uh, watching this on YouTube then um, if you have any questions for us anything technical or music related to any of the guests then uh, feel free to drop your comments and uh, we'll try to uh, to move you into the conversation um so yeah let's get uh, let's get started and i think i should uh, start with alex because alex is the the maker of um title cycles and um what i was wondering uh, alex uh what made you decide to create title cycles and what was uh, what were you using before to create music and what was it, what was it lacking what what did you need why did you need to to uh, to write such a program? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's not really a need because there's a lot of ways to make music, um, and they're all good. <laughs> so I guess. Um, well, I guess I started around the year two thousand, um, talking to my friend Adrian Ward, and we decided to start making music just with our own software. Like we made a ma little manifesto for ourselves and stuff <laughs> and decided that's what we wanted to do. We didn't want to use anyone else's, we just want to use our own. Um, now that feels a bit uh, of an over the top position and now I use people's software as well. But um, I guess it, that was it. We were just at a stage where we wanted to do something forthright, a bit different and had in mind that we'd just be able to Write software that just generated everything for us. Um, but I guess it's not really a need, just like a strange idea that we decided to follow. Mm. I guess we're inspired by people like Alteca, um, listening to a lot of that stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, live coding. So we started off just writing software to make music and just running it during a performance. Um, but then around the year 2003, there was something in the air, like we got in contact with other people doing similar things. And it seemed like people were talking about live programming where you could actually write the software during the performance. Like my friend Julian Rohrer there in um, Ben Hamburg uh, had a, something called PowerBooks Unplugged, where they were just like a big laptop band. Um, and uh, yeah, so seemed like there was just something in the air around that time and 
we started talking to each other and meeting up um, at the meeting in um, in Hamburg, organised by Julian and Renata Weiser, where um, yeah, we're just sharing ideas about how we could possibly do this. But it seemed like just a strange idea. Still, it still took us like, like it took me like a couple of minutes before I made any sound. It's a really impractical way to make music. Write software to make it for you, <laughs> especially when you're writing all live during a performance. But um, and but then I I was collaborating with my friend Alex Garagocci, who's a percussionist. He's sort of a free improviser. Um, and uh, I've just, um, he just really encouraged me to do this from scratch live performances where it was just all improvised with code. Um, and, we, and that's what kind of pushed me to make Tidal really, the need to respond faster, to collaborate with people. Um, and, and with Tidal, I think you can make a change every few seconds and it's much more of a to and fro the collaborator. Um, so I guess that's sort of why, um, just as a way to make music. Um, and uh, it, but since then, it sort of turned into a free open source project and people are taking it in all kinds of other directions. So it'd be interesting to hear what uh, Ben and Lizzie think about this as well. <laughs> Real quick, so last time I was on, I got asked to describe it. Uh, and I actually found that I realized on the spot that I found that a little challenging. So maybe, uh, could, could you do that? I'd love to hear your... That was going to be my next question, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really difficult question because there's so many ways to come at it. It's sort of um, from the computer scientific direction, um, which would be something about um, uh, functions of time or something. Or there's the... Uh, more pattern direction, uh, maybe that's a bit more interesting. It's sort of um, so Tidal for me is about um, algorithmic pattern. Um, in music, we often talk about pattern like uh, sequences, like fitting a pattern into a drum machine. Um, but algorithmic pattern, I think, takes it into more other kinds of pattern that you might be familiar from wallpaper patterns or weaving patterns or something like. Um, uh, symmetry you think of as being pattern and um, interference patterns when you like put two bits of netting on top of each other suddenly you see all these weird wow effects and that's that's kind of interference pattern or um, deviations from a pattern I guess glitches and things are also sort of features of patterns um, and repetitions of course pretty important to what we do um, repetitive patterns um, so I think for me it's about connecting, using code to connect perception of pattern with language. Um, so ways of thinking about pattern as some as something like a knitting pattern where you follow instructions um, and pattern is something that you see in something, like you see, oh, that's a nice pattern and kind of see some structure. Um, and so it's like a connection between making pattern, <laughs> the connection between making and perception and, and the code sort of sits in between as the sort of interface for that. Um, that's quite a ranty way of explaining <laughs> what Tidal is. <laughs> but, uh, what, how would you describe it, Lizzie? Uh, just like noise machine, maybe? Or <laughs> really, really <Yeah>. simple. <laughs> Something that makes yeah. fun sounds. What, what did you... 
make uh, what made what made you choose to use this as your uh, instrument rather than any other more obvious choice I guess to make music Lizzie um well I saw one of my good friends Joanne um was part of the live coding scene and I saw what she was doing um she would like come along to like house parties and just like bring her laptop and plug it in and like project the code on just like a living room wall and I was just like what is going on this is kind of crazy but also really really cool um yeah I think I just kind of like identified with like using language as a way to make music rather than kind of physical or dexterity stuff I think for me I like writing anyways and I it was quite just a freeing way to like say I have this idea of what I wanted to do musically bash a few keys on your keyboard and you're making sounds that way it, it just yeah it just it seemed like a different way that but kind of resonated with me is it your your first instrument or did you make mu music in other ways before you moved to um, uh, live coding yeah so I, I grew up like playing <laughs> traditional instruments and then I had a few like synthesizers that I played with before. So it, it wasn't like a complete newbie to the whole concept, but I don't know. I, I, I just never really got into traditional hardware in the same way that I did with software for some reason. But maybe that's just like a, I think one of the good things about Tidal as well is it's being free. And so you don't have to spend like so much money on like a, a really big modular setup to make interesting sounds. Yeah, and that's so I think that was in that sense it's it's a really accessible thing to yeah. uh, to do, yeah. Yeah, it's quite hard to install still. Other ways it's accessible. Like I think the community is accessible and uh, yeah, quite easy to get information, some gaps in documentation, but so yeah, let's say um, someone wants to get into this. What do they need? What exactly do they need? What what do they um, need to do? Or I guess a laptop, uh, and that's it. Really, it can be Windows, Linux, or Mac, um, and go to tidalcycles.org and follow the installation instructions. Um, the installers usually work. If not, then don't be dispirited. <laughs> Join that. Uh, if you go to the community links, there's like live chat where people are around to help you out often, or the forum, uh, Tidal Club, we call it. Um, uh, that might be a better place to go, actually, because maybe other people have already had the same problem and you'd be able to search out. Um, yeah, normally it'd be nice to go along to a workshop, but it's a bit harder to do these days. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe soon. So then, then uh, let's say I install it um, tonight, and um, I want to get started. Is what what do I get presented with? Well, how does it look, and what what do I need to do? Can you sort uh, of give a little uh, peek in in the interface? What uh, how how do you interface with it? Slides uh, that sort of so, uh, it's like or, a... Lizzie, yeah. or <laughs> Ben, whoever, yeah. Just... <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, I'm familiar with um, uh, things like Max MSP or Reactor or uh, Kima, 
and but sure. that's all node based you know so you you get a you basically you have a screen and it it's sort of visualized how mm. how your uh, signal flow is going to be and uh, what you can expect you know because everything already has names is there is there any clues like that in in title cycles well you, you basically just get a text editor um uh, so um, you're just typing text and sending it to Tidal to turn into sound. Um, so the interface is really just words, just trying them out, seeing what yeah, they do. It, it doesn't do sound by itself, so you have to make you have to give uh, commands, send it through to uh, a sampler or um, or a synth or something. Yeah, so it comes comes with um, the the usual way to use it is with uh, something called SuperDirt. Uh, made by Julian, who I mentioned earlier. Um, and uh, that runs in Super Collider, which is also free. Um, but you can also link up with MIDI or um, anything that takes open sound control um, messages. But, um, but yeah, so I guess there's different parts to it. There's the um, mini notation, which is like a way of sequencing. Um, which is um, quite a terse uh, way of layering up different sounds. Um, like uh, you name, you have a name for each sound. Uh, you can load in your own sounds as well. Um, but then you build structures like cyclic structures um, uh, in in the mini notations. So that's one part of it. Um, it can be is polyrhythmic, um, so you can do quite complex sort of. Uh, time signatures and things um, which we can talk about later maybe um, and then on, once you've made your sequence um, which is already quite a big world um, you then have these other functions which you apply to transform that in different ways so I mentioned symmetry earlier you might want to reverse the pattern um, every third cycles or something like that or shift it um, uh, backs and forwards that's like a kind of rotational symmetry, or you might want to take two sequences and combine them in different ways. And there's a lot of different ways to combine patterns, which is sort of where the uh, sort of interference patterns come in. Um, you can do things like speed up the pattern, but then the amount that it's sped up is also a pattern. So um, basically, in title, everything's a pattern. So if you want to speed something up by two for half the cycle and then slow it down for the second half um, you can do that or you could pattern uh, like you could do beat slicing and then pattern sort of rearrangement of that if you wanted to do some aiming cut-ups or something mm. um, uh, yeah so it's, it's basically working with sequences transferring them with these functions um, and that's basically it but um, it's all, all with text. I feel like I could jump in there a little bit about the workflow. Um, and, and for me, there's a, there's, a, there's a number of different aspects to title cycles. Um, I, I think it'd be really interesting to touch on, on all of them. One is, you know, we're talking about how we interface with making music, and this is text-based. Then there's the results that we get and whether we find them interesting or not and how we use them. Um, then there's the open source community, which I would love to talk about because I'm really interested and I have questions about that. And then there's the algo rave stuff as well. Um, okay. But uh, 
to to talk about like the when you know when you just get it some some things that people might not be familiar with is that you're you're coding in a in a text editor text editor which are usually used for programming languages so there are a bunch of free ones there's Atom or there's VS Code or um, there's Sublime uh, but people might not be used to making music in this way but but that can actually be a really interesting way to um, come up with different results and, um, uh, try new things. So, so basically you, once you have it all installed, you know, you have to go in the terminal to install Haskell, there's instructions. Um, then you load up super collider because what title does, which coming from, you know, then there are these packages for various code editors like Atom, VS code, that communicate with um, def by default communicates with SuperCollider. So basically, all that title is doing is sending out OSC messages. It's um, OSC messages containing all of the information to create that event. Then by default, that is piped into SuperCollider, and somebody, Julian, I think is his name, has built a uh, package of instruments that take that default OSC information that title sends out and turns it into sound. And Super Collider is an incredibly powerful open source piece of software that, so it, it can do pretty amazing um, sample mangling, synthesis and effects uh, just by default. So, and, and, and they, you know, Julian, I, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think his name is Julian. He's he's gone to a lot of, of trouble to sort of map all of these things so that when you type them, uh, you know, be it an effect or a control or a sample or a synthesizer, they just by default create that thing, so you don't have to do it. I you know you could map that to Max MSP or anything that accepts OSC, but then you would have to go to the trouble of defining all of those default things or whatever whatever custom functionality you wanted it to do because title is simply an osc sequencer at its at its core isn't that correct um yeah it doesn't do anything apart from pattern osc messages yeah uh so yeah you could get it to so it's very open-ended you could get it to do whatever you want but super collider uh, already does so much that it, I think it's a pretty, I think most people probably use it that way because SuperCloud, you can also send out MIDI messages, CC, but you know, you can do the whole gamut of MIDI, uh, or you can obviously do us OSC as well. So the, like, I think the learning curve of getting it installed and knowing how to just make sound is probably the hardest part of it. And then once you have that, uh, you know, the, you can kind of you can kind of go from there. Have people tried to make this work with um, control voltage? Yeah, I mean through through MIDI or OSC. Have you seen examples of people using uh, Tidal Cycles as a integrated with um, modular? Yeah, there's somebody on the Tidal Cycles forum. Somebody has built a GitHub package that I have installed that sends. It does that. It sends out control voltage. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, I guess I'll just I'll just keep talking, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> unless anybody else. Um, so for me, I what I find interesting about the the things that I touched upon that is is I don't I don't come from that background. 
um, my my interest in it is a lot of what you were talking about, Alex, of just the the patterns, because I think that they're for me, there are patterns that are unique to title in a lot of ways. Like I haven't come across a way to make these any other way, especially not as efficiently. Um, and so for me, it's really about the results that I get. Like I'm interested in it to make studio records primarily. Um, so my workflow is almost like it's all basically MIDI, some sample stuff, but I just kind of end up recording the MIDI in my DAW um, and using sort of external samplers and drum machines and just using it as a, as an engine to create patterns and music. Um, and you know, the, the, the speed with which you can get something, go get something like complex that would take ages to actually sequence or conceptualize in a linear DAW is very easy and quick to do in title. Once you have, once you understand the language, in my opinion, um, and, and there are there, you get results that are just completely different from a linear workflow because you have these things that are overlapping at different different rates and interacting in a in an algorithmic way so ben is your strategy um stumbling upon things while you are um uh, sort of thinking of ideas how to make it uh, do certain things and then and then just uh, keep doing things until you uh, make a choice or a judgment okay this is the, th the thing i want to go with or um, is that the way you do it or are, are you really conceptualizing these things uh, in your head before you even start no it's mostly it's mostly play and then you'll right. you'll find something that um, is cool and you'll right. kind of like hone in on that and then mm -hmm. modify it and and one thing that like my favorite patterns that I've that I've made are ones that are just inherently sort of interesting and you don't i don't have to like touch them that much because they're continually change if you you know you can, with a few lines of code you can make these things that are continually changing and the balance is like finding that 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 point where it's it, it makes sense it's not chaotic mm. but it's continually interesting to listen to because of the way that it's changing and morphing and so a lot of the, a lot of my favorite patterns like i can just play for like 20 minutes without doing much because of the way you know in title title has all of these conditional um like uh all these conditions that you can make so you say every five cycles do this or when the, you know between when the modulo like is between these two numbers do this um or percentage wise do this um so you can create these things that once you've created them sort of like have a life and and, and um, I, I think that's that's the beauty of algorithm music i, I think yeah um, anyway lizzie please yeah please no, I, I think help, help kind of <laughs> jumping off what you're saying i think one of the things i find really cool about title is this idea of randomness um so a lot of things a lot of times you'll run a pattern and one time it will sound this way and then you run it again and it won't sound the same and you're like, why is it doing that? But it's like, there's a lot of functions in there that like are generating random numbers and then the sounds coming from that. So it's, it's this really nice thing that especially like for me, I use it live most often. Like I've not done too much in the way of like 
in the studio recording a track with it. Um, I like that kind of element of, okay, it's going to run once. And I have no idea how this is exactly going to sound and it might be good and it might be bad. And let's kind of embrace the <laughs> kind yeah, that's of cool. that's, that's chaotic very, nature of it sometimes. Yeah, but that's, that's very similar to playing live with hardware or even, you know, people who do or in a, a jazz uh, group or something, you bet you have a certain, um, thing that you set you know the tempo or the key whatever and then uh you just let it take you where it takes you uh it sounds dangerous <laughs> yeah. yeah but i think people enjoy it when they they sense of course, it of course it should be dangerous yeah yeah performances should be dangerous yeah. absolutely yeah it, should be, it yeah. should have ups and downs and uh yeah. yeah so I if think... I understand right, when, when now we're talking about live coding, right? Because uh, Ben was talking about how to how he applies the the sequencer in the studio, but uh, you two do live performances. So you go there, you have an empty screen, and then you start, and basically it all exists only in that one moment. And by the time you're done, it's it's gone, right? That's how it. Yeah. That's how how you do it. Well, I guess Alex is a bit more purist than me because he starts with the empty screen, whereas I. I'm not quite uh, there yet. Like I, I find that a bit too daunting to have nothing to right. start with. So I kind of come with some prepaid code, but it's, I'm just kind of changing things on the fly. Whereas I guess most of the time, that's the way you do it, Alex, right? Yeah, I think people, it, it's like a spectrum. Everyone's on a different place on it. Um, there's a lot of people who would just bring code and run it without even hardly editing it at all. Um, others um, sort of bring prepared snippets, which they then improvise from. Um, but yeah, I kind of enjoy the. Um, yeah, am I still there? The network's going a bit funny. Okay. Okay. okay good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I really enjoy that feeling of having a blank screen and not knowing what's going to happen until I start typing. Um, and when it's good, it's uh, it's just so nice to just have music happening, just coming from your fingertips, um, and and also to be able to be surprised by what you're doing all the mm -hmm. time. Like when you're running, have several things happening at the same time, the overall effect you're never going to be able to predict, um, especially when you have all these patterns stacked up, all these different functions manipulating the pattern in different ways. Um, so for me, that aspect of surprise is really important. And also, I think learning, like, um, my favorite thing to do would be to come up with a new function, add it to Tidal, and then use it for the first time in a performance, because then, because um, language is all about combination of different elements. And if you add a new element, then it freshens up all the other ones. Um, it's really generative in that sense. Um, so yeah, 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 there was something I was wondering about. How do you, do you deal with uh, uh, polyphony or or um, um, sort of like multi multi multiple sounds going on at the same time? Are they do they all have like their own um, section in the code that you are writing, or um, or do you, is is there? I don't know. I mean, if if I see one screen with just a bunch of code. Uh, uh, I don't quite understand how you then um, make these separate things work. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I guess it's can, like can you can you mute mute things on and off and uh, you know make make sort of like arrangement type things or is it just always one um, file that is executed and and plays everything at the same time? Yeah, I guess it's more like a conversation, isn't it? So you're like sending blocks of you might have a page full of code, but it won't that code won't all be running. So you'll be sending blocks to Tidal to run, um, right. and yeah, muting and unmuting things. Um, what I like to do is have just a simple uh, MIDI controller, um, like this one, where I've got like eight uh, sliders, and each one would be like um, I'd be able to mute. I have eight. I might have eight up to eight patterns running, but I'd be able to uh, switch them on and off with that, and also have a DJ filter on each one, so I can sort of cut out different frequency ranges. Um, okay, okay. Um, which is really nice, especially when collaborating with someone else to give them space and things. Okay, so um, there is so there is an, a, a physical um, input as well, other than the keyboard. Other yeah, than yeah, the you can have a uh, MIDI yeah. input. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. Right. Yeah, because I was wondering how you do, how do you deal with transitions? I mean, I've I've listened to uh, sets from from both Lizzie and and you, and then um, you hear things come in and out and and. Uh, they, they some parts stop and then something else comes in. So I was just wondering, is that all just typing or is it is there something else going on? Mostly <laughs> uh, typing, yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, um, I just type. <laughs> yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah, but you, uh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, uh, do, yeah, you, uh, oh, sorry, <laughs> we said the same thing. Um, so you think of uh, polyphony, like you can have multiple patterns going at the same time, but a pattern, isn't the same as a sound. A pattern can be playing a bunch of different sounds, right. but then you can have multiple patterns going and you can start and stop each one. Or there are all these cool transition functions. So you can like, actually, if one's going, you can crossfade into another pattern or have it like disintegrate and re, uh, recompile the new, the new pattern. Um, oh, cool. So there, there are transitions within it. Um, but you do think of you do you you can have polyphony within a pattern in terms of playing more than one sound at one time, uh, but you think of each one as a, as patterns. So it'd be like like if you had sequencers in a DAW kind of. Can you can you morph patterns? So one pattern is playing and there's another one waiting, and it sort of slowly takes on the shape of the other one. Is that is that possible too? Sort of like it rearranges itself bit by bit, like morphing into another pattern. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh I'll, yeah i'll keep that idea if you don't mind um, yeah do it yeah, there is where, um, it's a transition where it will randomly drop out events from one pattern and gradually introduce another but actually morphing right yeah, yeah. well you could do it you could do a crossfade but that's not quite the same yeah yeah uh, what about the mask like crossfading into like a mask function yeah i don't know <laughs> Yeah, we're just going to start to do this. Is, uh, be yeah, Alex. <laughs> we lost him. Back in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have, a, well, I have a, a question, which, and it's something that I find interesting because it seems philosophical, which is why open source? Yeah. It's not something I think about too much because it's just something I've always been part of. It's like just in the background, everything 
I just use this Linux thing. I download everything for free. It wouldn't really make sense for me to not share it. Um, but I guess, I mean, it's not just me that makes Tidal now. It's an open source project, which means that I benefit from what other people contribute to it, including Lizzie has been uh, uh, adding some patches to um, fix up some features um, and do a whole other project uh, where, uh, yeah, that's that's a whole other topic. But yeah, it's been working on a sort of machine learning thing with it. Um, but it's part um, of the of the of the sort of DIY ethos of of the whole um, live coding uh, movement, right? Open source yeah. and community and sharing things and um, yeah, yeah, like I use SuperGlider, that's free and yeah. But I guess it's also I have to recognise that I'm pretty privileged to be able to do that. Just work without and um, and that's because I've. I've uh, been a, a funded student. That's when I first started make, making Tidal. Um, so I was lucky enough to have a grant to do that. Um, uh, so. so so what do you feel like your relationship is to it? Um, I know that uh, might be a weird question, but... Yeah, it's an interesting question. I guess it's... Um, yeah, it's changed. So to start with, it was uh, like no one else was using it. Um, I put it online, but it's very difficult to install, even harder than it was. <laughs> um, and, and it was just like my way of making music, I guess. It's just something I was exploring. Um, but yeah, the process of sharing it and like this guy, Mike Hodnick, um, Kingdom started using it, um, encouraging other people to use it. And then, um, that's, yeah, that's, that's how been, I found it. Yeah, it, it's been a weird uh, process. It's like I don't know if yeah, I guess it's like making anything really. You don't necessarily want to share the making the creative process of it immediately. It's like you want to. You've got this weird idea in your head about something, whether it's a piece of music, and you just want to get it down on your own, depending what it is, and then gradually you go through the process of sharing it with the world but now it's like yeah i, I guess i think of it as more of a community or something it's like community and it's, it's interesting because everyone who's engaged with it is in some way a coder whether they like it or not so whether you're working on the code or, or just using it to make music then you're kind of speaking the same language so yeah it just feels like as one community um of practice and um just like this big blob of weird people doing strange things I suppose. Yeah. I, I guess I really like the fact that I've been able to um, kind of mold the tools as well like obviously it's this thing that Alex has made but then there's so many ways that you can kind of shape it to the way that you feel like you make music so it doesn't have to be this kind of like unilateral way of making music it's actually kind of nice that you can start learning it and the more the more you get into it the more you can kind of work out how you can shape it to your own kind of musical practice i guess yeah i think i thought of that because i've realized that my relationship to it feels quite different um and in terms of learning it and i think that that's you know i, I started or i got shown maximus p you know, like 99 or something like that by a professor. 
and it was confusing and like totally changed my brain and opened up a lot of doors and turned on a lot of lights. But there were professors, there were people at schools whose jobs it were essentially to help teach this. And so I, and then most of the other software, I mean, I do use some open source stuff, but a lot of what I use is commercial where you can kind of like demand, you know, you feel you, you have a certain, like, um, you, you feel like you are privileged to know the answer to how to use something, or it's like, you know, I paid for it. It's my, I should know how to do this. If there's a bug, it's like, Hey, uh, this is a showstopper. Somebody over there fix this. You know, you feel kind of privileged. Um, and I, and I'm finding with this, it's like, it, it's, it's quite different. It's like, okay, I have, I have a question or I have an issue. It's like, uh, please, like, so, you know, I have to sort of ask people like you or people, you know, either you specifically or people like you, um, for help. And, and I, and I sometimes feel, um, uh, like almost guilty like i'm taking all i'm taking all of their time like asking my sort of quite silly questions or like i don't quite know or like i should know more or i need to it, it actually it makes me a little bit more invested in the community because i'm realizing that it is all upon people like us that that know the answers and therefore feel some sort of obligation to this community to share them but that i'm i'm also just acknowledging that that's somewhat of a new sensation for me and i find it interesting um and different yeah it's interesting to hear i think um some people i think sometimes get that a bit wrong when they come to an open source project and sort of um come at it with a little bit of entitlement and uh, totally Pro yeah. i probably did at some point too i, I apologize no, no, at all. Um, but I think actually the that only really happened a bit earlier on in in the community. Now I think it has its own ethos, and when people come to it, they see this forum full of people being helpful and kind to each other, hopefully, and um, it, yeah, and that, and that covers through. And it's and it's less like a sort of um, uh, uh, support a uh, customer support process, and it's more like an exchange. Um, uh, the nice yeah. thing I'm doing is running a workshop but I haven't been able to do it lately um, because I get so much of it like sharing title with people they ask these questions um, like this nice question about morphing from one pattern to another mm -hmm. <laughs> how do you do that and uh, there's always at least one or two questions where it really kind of think yeah why can't you do that that would be awesome um, yeah I, I guess my real question is like, do you feel like you've created this thing and leashed and unleashed it and now it is everyone's and it's up, sort of up to them? Or do you actually personally still take on a lot of like the um, ownership or desire or, you know, uh, yeah, desire to shepherd people through the process or, you know, how do you, how do you deal with, so if somebody comes with some entitlement and you're like, you know, how, how does that, how do you deal with that or where does that sit with you um these days i'll just ignore it i think and, uh, <laughs> so, see it looks like. yeah it doesn't really happen uh, that much anymore um yeah i don't know it's just like normal community stuff i guess it's just yeah as things grow it, it can it changes in character um 
Yeah, I heard this thing about once a community goes beyond a hundred, um, it really changes character, and you have to start policing it and things. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I haven't really felt that with tidal. It's just organically grown, really slowly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. I mean, I, I will say that like the other, my my favorite place on the internet right now is the lines community which is yeah nice which is um a pretty large community but everyone is so helpful and so nice and so respectful that it really does foster this kind of community feeling and that's and it seems to be based around the ethos of open source and sharing and um learning together and passing along knowledge which is it's great yeah i think it's something we're getting better at i think is yeah, keeping communities non-toxic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people, yeah, there's various uh, problems that have underlined um, internet communication since it's sort of grown out of military and academic contexts about meritocracy mm-hmm. and things. And but as you know, movements like Black Lives Matter and stuff like that sort of teach us more about um, our failings. It sort of allows us to reflect more and build these communities. Um, and see building a community as an important part of um, our creative practice as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not lurking in the shadows, but involving yourself within it as well. Sort of yeah. giving back in some way. Yeah. Just answering questions, anyway. I think you've got some friends uh, showing up here. <laughs> Hello, Iris. Hey, Iris. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she says uh, free software is about uh, taking the tools and learn how to build them and use them in the meantime. Is that something you agree with? Um, can you put that up again? <laughs> taking the tools and learn how to build them and use them in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it is about that sort of shared learning process. Um, yeah, Iris is from Argentina. Buenos Aires, really strong uh, life coding community there. So nice to see her. It's nice to see how it's spread across the world and how it's sort of taking on these different qualities in different places. Um, yeah, very strong in Argentina. Yeah, I think. The point about like learning how to use it and then making and I think it's like a perpetual cycle of I think I still feel like I'm learning a lot of the time like I've been using it for a while now but there's still so many things that I haven't thought of and that no one else thinks of as well you know I think that's it it's like there's almost infinite possibilities with so do people in the community also share um sort of their trades and secrets or is it more like help help each other helping each other with um technical stuff i think when you project your screen you can't really hide too much and yeah yeah there's not much uh, sort of gatekeeping or anything it's all about the sharing i guess because it sounds like you can you can you can kind of develop your own um, uh, vocabulary if you want. You know, if you're a life coding artist, you build your own bag of uh, tricks and and um, routines, I guess. Um, way you know approaches, way ways of of doing things. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of styles. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity for because like the style is almost there in front of you expressed as code. So it's kind of, um, yeah, I think so relationship the, between your own personal style and your code is an interesting one. And just so, by sharing so the, it, you're kind so of So do people it. cheer about, about the code if there's something really uh, smart is coming up, like uh, with, uh, you know, turntablism when somebody does really a really <laughs> complicated <laughs> trick, like, eh. <laughs> does that happen? Or, or people just have more um, appreciate it silently. <laughs> <laughs> I always like make a little mental note and be like, oh, try that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to steal that from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I <like> that. <laughs> yeah. I think the cheer only happens when there's a crash. When, uh, <laughs> when, uh, I, I was actually going to ask about that in terms of in terms of algorithms because what you know one uh thing about electronic perf music performance that people have been trying to figure out a way to tackle forever is the lot how to make it uh express that it's live like how to make somebody there know that you are doing something live um and so this is one way to to do that but it is so hyper specific i've often wondered if the people that are there that just want to mm. listen to music and don't know anything about code like how they what they feel about uh, about that or how they interact with it or if it doesn't matter at all or you know it just it just occurred to me that like the people that are in the crowd knowing like stealing functions I'm guessing is like a smaller, a, a much, you know, small percentage of the audience. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I reckon. I mean, I guess when someone's DJing, there might be some people shoulder surfing, watching how they're doing and that'll be a small group of people. Train spotters. Yeah. Um, so. But, ben, but I, I think, I think to be honest, if, if something is really live and improvised, uh, no matter what tools or what uh, interface you use, people are always going to feel that or notice that, you know, because it's it's I agree. Uh, like yeah, like I said before, there's there is a certain danger, there's a certain uh, tension in the air when somebody actually improvises in front of you, and um, that sort of um, that journey and that unexpectedness that can happen um, is something that that everybody in the room can feel. I'm I'm sure that is the same. That is true for for live coding as well. Yeah. I agree, but it's just a very uh, visual connection because I think that's a lot about electronic music is how do you make the visual connection between what you're hearing and knowing that something is live, mm -hmm. like the live creation, the one sort of one to one correspondence between like movement and sound. Um, uh, and so this is just one, I mean, this is one way that that I think it accomplishes that, but it does it in a very specific sort of way. It's a massive mm. trade off, isn't it? I think the problem with projecting the screen, I mean, the plus side is you can see what people are doing. But I think if you're reading code that can kind of distract you from listening, it's quite hard. It's like trying to read a book while listening to music you can't really do both at the same time so i worry that there's like contention there um and and actually i used to obscure my code in different ways like if i was <laughs> collaborating with someone um sort of uh, superimpose both screens like have both projectors pointing at the same bit so it'd be harder to read and right. throw at the screen um until um this guy annie uh was in the audience who's profoundly deaf and he told me oh um 
uh, I was really into this user programmer, so he, he, he actually found that he could uh, understand the music more. Um, like had some hearing, so he, he, he did listen to music, but he found that by being able to read the code, he could actually uh, hear this, more of the structure. Oh, wow. And then I thought, That's oh, cool. yeah, okay. <laughs> it's also, um, yeah, di different people, it, they experience it in different ways, so it's best just to project it and not, and not sort of stop people from reading it if they want to. Um, and he actually ended up um, taking up Tidal himself and... Uh, performing in some a big festival and stuff so and making an album with it and stuff so that was really cool. nice yeah yeah nice technique um so yeah i think yeah but for me life coding has always been a double-edged sword and actually the the whole thing i think is because um if, if you're working with music as language you're kind of close to the composition you're like working on that level um which means in a way you're further away from the sound um and that is uh a trade-off like it's not a panacea <laughs> uh, so you, i i'm are you are you saying um because that's something i was i was thinking about you know i've got um some experience with um code that does music or sound uh and i've got a bunch of modular uh eurorack stuff um Having being able to keep an entire system in your head, or in in your case, the code, um, uh, can sometimes be distracting from uh, just purely kind of feeling what is happening in in musically. Um, don't you get distracted while coding by what you hear? Like, do you do you get distracted, or did you do you, does your mind? Um, um sort of float off in in into the sound domain rather than the coding domain sometimes because that's what happens to me i don't have the brain that can do, can do both at the same time you know what i mean so uh how does it work for you i think for me if i have like an error or a bug then i have to get like sharply pulled into the coding domain because then you're kind of really focused on how can i fix this Right. which is kind of a very computer science way to look at sound, I guess. I don't know about the others. Yeah, for me, I find live coding is much more about listening than coding in a way. So um, I'm not, I don't understand the code in front of me. I know how to change it. I know how to make it more complex or add an extra function to something, but it's not like I understand what the whole thing's doing. So I feel like I don't have that kind of um, cognitive load going on. It feels mm. like I'm very much locked in a state of flow if it's going well. Um, and what I'm really focused on is um, what the sound is, um, because that is the surprise that's coming back at you. Sort of, um, and also, when the next change should be, um, especially if I'm making techno, um, it's really important to play with people's expectations, which means being totally aware where you are in that 16 bar or <laughs> eight bar pattern, um, that cycle. Because, um, uh, yeah, it feels like I'm continually working against deadlines. Like there's, I need to make a change every for repetitions of this otherwise it's going to get stale 
Um, so it feels like um, almost what what time I when I do something is more important than what I do. Um, but uh, yeah, I think. But it's weird because you are in this weird sort of language space and making dance music um, feels like you should be able to um, be a bit more aware of the room than I am sometimes. But still I feel like I do sense when things are going well and when people are kind of going for it. Um, I feel like I feel that build up, but it wouldn't be, I think it would probably be different if I was playing an actual instrument and a bit more able to look around the room because it really, really locked on that, um, on that, on that window. <laughs> Don't look away. So, so, so in, in a sense, it's still, although it's coding and it's very, um, sort of, uh, based on numbers and, 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 uh, uh concepts and stuff um you you could say that there is still it it's still a very intuitive way of of, of playing for you then yeah yeah i think i think um people might think code is a bit scary but actually yeah i do super simple. <laughs> <laughs> like i've done workshops with sort of groups of eight-year-olds and uh, managed to teach them enough title to make a little performance together inside an hour and record it inside that hour. Um, so you don't need to know much of it. Like, mm. um, and actually, oh, yeah. well, I, I know from, from, uh, you know, the modular synth world and, and, uh, using Max MSP and reactor that, uh, a few very, very simple rules can create enormous complexity. Yeah. That's what it's about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's about yeah. coming to the performance, maybe thinking, okay, I might, Try out two these two or three functions. Maybe focus on that, mm. um, and have those in mind rather than try and uh, try and overcomplicate things. Um, mm. Yeah, I think the best algorithmic music is really focused on the simplicities. Um, mm. Yeah, I was listening to Beatrice Dillon's album um, earlier today. Um, after finding out that she used Tidal a bit on it, and it's really, really engaging and clean and clear. Um, and Mark Fell's work as well uses Max. Um, some, yeah, like instability, really kind of crystal clear, very simple interactions that just completely captivated. Yeah, Mark Fell's stuff is, is uh, it could classify it as simple, but it's very, very intense. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love his he'll, he'll be happy to describe it as straightforward. He's, yeah, I was reading something where you just explain explain that you sent a patch to someone for an installation, and they thought there's something wrong because it's just like a few boxes. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that was what we meant to send. Just uh, these really nice. Uh, I think it's the same idea of pattern really as is in Tidal, but you purchase it a different way. Very uh, yeah, amazing stuff. I saw something coming in from our friend uh, Synchrotron. Um, he's also on the Discord server. Um, he's asking, there's talk about patterns. What about sound design? Is that a separate task? I think you talked about it briefly uh, in the beginning, but um, it's also still not 100% clear uh, to me where the, so the title cycles 
program is the basically the sequencer and then you can uh, tell it to do uh, uh, to tell it have have it uh, tell instruments what to do basically that's that's uh, the simple explanation right yes yeah, yeah. so, so oh, go ahead Alex uh, okay <laughs> I'll just say something very quickly that um, uh, yeah with Tidal you um, you pattern the sound but also different aspects of the sound like the effects um, uh, there's so it a could huge be, logic yeah, so it could be both sound design and and uh, and uh, changing the order but also the sort of like the, maybe the decay or filter or uh, yeah. accents and stuff like that the timbre yeah um, so it's yeah, you the can, same timing in fact yeah you can pattern when an event happens and then also all kinds of control patterns for that sound or for that sample. Um, so, you know, you could tell it where in the sample to play, how long, then you could apply effects like filters, reverbs, distortions. It's super collider. So there's all kinds of really interesting effects, like interesting distortions, um, uh, even FFT kind of stuff. Um, so then you can pattern the control you know you can have these kind of step sequencers or lfos for these um parameters for the effects or for the filters or or whatever i should say that it doesn't have to be about sound because it all it is about is about patterning out network messages and so um like i've used it to control lights and then you run a workshop lizzie linking Tidal with Hydra for visuals. Yeah, although that was not actually taking the, that was like uh, the audio input and doing oh, an FFT, right, yeah. so it wasn't actually, but you can, there is a way to do that where you can send, the send network, message. network messages into like a visuals program, so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I guess I'm like the sound design question as well, like I've seen people do some interesting things with title that's not just it's like taking a lot longer samples and kind of splicing it up and i think that's another way to approach the thing is you know what sound are you actually working with are you working with like a really short sample or are you working with midi or are you working with like a sample pack or like a vocal like i've seen some really interesting like vocal processing as well so i think that's that's one way of kind of thinking about Doing sound design. Yeah, if you if you draw the line between the two of those, between just uh, the order of things and the way they mm -hmm. sound when they come out, I guess I guess it's both sound design and and uh, sequencing. Well, unless you want to use it for MIDI, and then you're just saying you know doing the sound design somewhere else, uh, but you can still send the same kind of control patterns through MIDI to your actual synthesizer. Yeah, I mean, and so, but it also has all kinds of sample manipulation things. Like you can, as Lizzie said, you can chop up samples. Um, it, you can do sort of like pseudo granular kind of um, effects. Um, you can rearrange the slices of samples. Um, yeah, so there, there's 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 quite a bit. You there's a, there's a ton you can do in terms of sound design. Um, it's an interesting one. Uh, from uh, Black Market Droidsmith. What's up, Black Market? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Droidsmith. 
Mister. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Something uh, that's interesting. How does tidal handle swing or wonky clocks? Does it do that as well? That's yeah. That's one of the reasons I was most interested in it. I think. Okay. Uh, in terms of the wonky clocks. Um, Swing. So swing, there's this thing called nudge where you can pattern the nudge of each event. Mm. Um, but I think I find more interesting are some of the other modes. So Alex, we didn't really, or Lizzie too, we didn't really talk about this of what a cycle is. Mm. And even that concept is different from like a bar, yeah. a metric bar. So do you want to jump off or should I talk about my poor, my like li limited understanding of, of, of what a cycle is and why you, why you thought of that and why you created it and how it works? Um, well, it comes from uh, this system called the bold processor. If you've heard from that, um, bold processor version two in particular is by this guy, Bernard Bell, who's a um, French Indian, um, uh, computer scientist, I guess, but he was notating tabla rhythms uh, India. I can't remember whereabouts in India, but um, so balls being the uh, syllables that represent different drum sounds. So he's using those to um, to notate because um, Indian classical music is really an oral culture. So um, the idea of notation is um at least when he was doing this quite a while ago uh, it was quite a controversial one um but he ended up building up into a computer music system um with uh that really amazing uh, approach to time setting tidal doesn't um get as as far as he did with this um having sounds which just arrange themselves in according to rules and things but um it, it has this um sort of a uh, way of doing polyrhythmic um, notation, which is actually uh, what the mini notation in Tidal is based on. So even though I don't have any music training, sort of reading about this uh, bold processor system sort of gives it a grounding in Indian classical music, probably more than Western classical music. And I think that's where the idea of the metrical cycle comes from, just this, um, this way of uh, things not being based on beats like there's no concept of beats per bar in Tidal it just you just tell it how many um, events to put in a cycle and it'll just squash them in um, and then you can break down that that down further so you can have the first half of um, the cycle have two events and the second half have three events you've got it's kind of two against three structure immediately and each one of those is its own cycle so if you slow that down then you'll end up getting only half the events through each cycle and um and you can very quickly build up quite complex structures just by this uh, notation um yeah so it comes from this idea of i think it's the tile then from um doing classical music sort of um Sometimes it can be very long cycles, and so you see people, in, even in the audience, sort of moving their hands to keep, keep uh, tabs on where they are in this metrical cycle. But then everything comes together in the end. So, um, but it, I guess it all comes from, um, in terms of 
the software side it's sort of thinking about music as behavior rather than sequences um so we've been saying that titles about sequences but actually there aren't really any sequences like um the way it represents music isn't as a sequence at all it's um it's just uh kind of stacking up all these functions each um, applying a different bit of behavior to the pattern so you end up with something that's very fluid in terms of the metrical structure it also uses rational numbers so things can be really subdivided perfectly like if you um computers are rubbish at representing um the number a third for some reason normally uh, it's, just can't do it but because <laughs> it's using rational numbers it manages to do this um but, uh, but yeah I, I guess that's yeah there's lots of different ways of coming at this idea of the cycle but uh, i guess that's it really it comes from a new classical music and it's about behavior not sequence right but so going back to that question which is like getting wonky or sort of off sure. different sounding rhythms even the, the the sort of like conceit of a cycle instantly gives you rhythms that are much harder to get other places. So like, say you have uh, one event per cycle, you could think of that as a whole note. If you have two, you could think of that as two half notes. If you have three, actually I should stop up, I should back up. If you have one event, that's a whole note. If you add a second, you're you don't have two whole notes yeah you have you've you've taken that whole note you've divided it into so you have two half notes then if you add uh, if you add a third event you don't have three half notes no. you now have a polyrhythm if you have something going at a steady uh metric like if you if you have something still going at two and you add three events to that one now you have three over two so that is a very different way of sequencing. So the yeah. more events you add to your, your pattern, the faster each event is, which is unlike a, a DAW or something where you're like, oh, I want to add a 16th note. Now your pattern is longer. Your pattern doesn't get longer. It, everything, sh sh everything always fits in that cycle. Uh, I'm generalizing here, but it squishes down. Um, so so that's already sort of a way to generate things that are harder to do in other environments and then there are these other sequencing modes um there are polyrhythmic modes and polymetric modes um and you can do some really funky things in there with sort of where events fall in the measure in the measure or sort of in the cycle um so that's really why I'm most drawn to it is that the patterns that you can create that I tend to create in there um, would be very hard. And I'm not sure I just wouldn't come up with them with playing, you know, it's not like I'd be in my, my DAW and like, Oh, let me shift this one. Uh, some sort of, you know, one seventh this way, you know, you just sort of like, don't think that way. Um, and real quick, going back to, um, talking about sharing so i found out about cycle cycles through a podcast and they talked about kingdom and so i checked out i just searched for kingdom on youtube and mike has hours of 
um, screencasts and um, tutorials of him talking about how to make music in title. And it's, it's like, it's so, so helpful because he walks you. I mean, he, honestly, I've, I don't think I've ever come across somebody that, it, that I've seen so share, like share so much about what they do just out into the world, into the online community for others just to learn. I find that really inspiring. And I really like his technique and I really like the, you know, the results that he's getting. So for me, it was just like, wow, like it's, it's just a whole world where he really, he allows you into, into it in a very, uh, you know, like in the easiest way that I've found. So I'll put a link to his stuff. Cause I think it's super, um, if, if you're wanting to learn about it, I think it's a great resource. He's a great resource. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. I, I want to go back um, to the, this cycle thing again, because, um, I, I, I understand it, but how it, at some point it doesn't really relate to tempo then anymore. I mean, you could, the tempo would only be to, uh, to make the whole thing faster and slower, but, um, it could be so complex that there is no real, uh, relation between, uh, sort of like the metronome or, or, um, or, or a beats per minute value or something like that. So you basically go, you, you basically judge it by the way it sounds in mm, how, how fast it feels rather than how fast it actually is. Right. Or well, it, it does kind of work because you, you just don't express it as a beats per minute. You express it as cycles, yeah. cycles per second, actually. Right. Um, and then if you're making dance music, you probably are going to be based around the number four. Yeah, in terms of the number of events you put in there, um, you might add some polyrhythm, but um, uh, and and that and because you're putting four things within that cycle and it's running at um, okay. So when you when you would choose four, they, they when when you would choose a cycle of four, they would actually run in sync with um, a four by four metronome. Yeah, yeah, right. it all stays in sync because the cycle is the constant like um yeah okay uh, ah, okay and the, yeah and there's like a very simple bit of math you can do to just write bpm equals 120 and then your overall cycle is at 120 so then it's just about how many events do you want to fill that cycle and i've actually find it really interesting to have things playing off of that in a metric you know in a more sort of for you know four four way um because then you really start to hear how those events are offset yeah sure yeah mm -hmm. yeah coming back to the wonky thing you can also pattern the um the tempo so you can have it ah uh, yeah uh, like bouncing yeah. balls style yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, interrupt you, Lizzie. No, I was just going to, I guess, off that point as well. Like, for me, I kind of think tempo doesn't really exist sometimes. That, like, you could have a cycle at 120 of four beats, or you could have it half that with more beats in it, and it would still sound the same. So it kind of, it makes you think, like, what actually is tempo and what actually is a beat per minute anyways. Yeah, that's what, that's how I, <laughs> that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah. 
I also mm -hmm. find it interesting that when I'm in title, I will I'll just be working on something. Like, oh, this is cool. Maybe I want to start using this. And I'll figure out what tempo I'm at. And I'll be at like 130, 150 BPM, which I would just never naturally do if I was starting in a DAW. I mean, the reason that I, re the, that I was drawn to it, I, I think mm -hmm. I said this on the last um, stream, is that uh, I, I come from the, the like hip-hop world. Uh, I first, my first love of music. BPMs can have a, a cultural meaning. <laughs> yeah, like hundred uh, percent. You know, one hundred is like dance culture. One hundred is hip hop culture. One, you know, two hundred. Not is only scammer. beats per minute. Totally. <laughs> Not only beats per minute, but beats per minute plus pattern. Yeah, and, sure, um, of course. So I, if I'm if I'm in a DAW and I'm just like, all right, it's time to make a beat. I have a, I have a set sort of tempo and a set pattern that I would default to based on the music that I first loved growing, growing up with. And, uh, you know, now uh, the last couple albums I, I wrote didn't incorporate that because I've been trying, I, I've really felt the, the sort of negative connotations in terms of my own work with attaching what I'm doing artistically to the history of so much genre. Like I, I'm trying, I'm trying to find a way, or I, I think I have been like working through this process of like trying to get further away from an idea of genre and being, mm. being so firmly into, uh, one, um, um, area of the way people understand music. So I, you know, I, I, what I, what I like about title is that I'm, I've realized that it's a way to reintroduce working with drums and the sounds that i love from making rhythmic music but in a way that abstracts it from those patterns and those tempos that i had been so used to and i'm trying to get away from so i find it a an interesting playground for rhythmic things that are detached from from sort of like the the past or, or like my past at least mm. Mm. yeah I was just thinking that um oh let's go for this question yeah sorry question. i didn't want to interrupt you but this is also relating to tempo uh can you comment tempo on that Lizzie, or or um alex um i don't know what tempo rubato it's is. like slowing down okay Rubato is uh, uh, like at the end of a piece, you would very slowly sort of uh, let the piece die out, mm -hmm. ramp down its tempo. I I always do that at the end of all my live sets, where I just like take the tempo and then it will be at like 150, and then I start taking it all the way down to 10, and then you get these weird kind of structures coming out from underneath. When you take the tempo back, you can kind of find actually there's like microstructures that were happening at a larger scale that you get when you, i don't know that i guess that kind of takes away from rubato but i find that very interesting to do live okay. yeah so like humanization you could program using you know nudge so 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 nudge will move an event backwards only or forwards as well i think it's just backwards um you um, can do it um, you can move it into the future or into the past a little bit at uh, your latency setting. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so you could you could um, 
program a feel that way, like a humanization, um, or you could program cycles per second. Um, but there's nothing inherent. There's no like humanization function. You would just kind of imagine what you think that is and there'd be a way to do it. Yeah. You could just add like a sine wave to nudge things forwards and backwards or a little bit of randomness. Um, yeah, I was remembering that um, Polo, I've rewritten it quite a few times and the earlier version was basically a 16 step sequencer. Like um, uh, time was really kind of discrete in that way. Um, and it wasn't until I started collaborating with this free, another free percussionist, Paul Hessian, that, and he, he would just continually change tempo constantly. And just yeah, just the freeness of what he was doing made, made me want to kind of be able to break down those um, subdivisions. Uh, so yeah, just interesting to think about how collaboration has sort of led to changes in the technology. Um, but um, yeah, in general, I think of Tidal as being quite an open system. People just take it in their own direction. But just think about tempo in particular. Uh, it used to be that the default tempo was one cycle per sec second, which is sort of the equivalent of 120. Um, and I noticed that a lot of people didn't change that default. <laughs> and that's not my favorite BPM. So I changed it to 135. <laughs> so more people are up in that sort of techno range than uh, <laughs> um, But yeah, I don't normally think of myself as this kind of... Uh, um, Praised power mad person, <laughs> what people do, but I thought it's quite a funny thing to do. You can set your own default as well if you want. <laughs> Yakum, I'd love to hear. Have you like what? What have? What has your sort of uh, making music systems been over the years, and have that has that evolved? And have you experimented with a lot of things? Sorry, was that for me? Yeah, that was for oh. you. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of I was um, zoning off in the in the comments. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, well, I've I've started with um, tape and records, um, an old Revox, um, and then I I went uh, I, yeah I got it I bought a few drum machines and then synths and stuff, uh, but. I think my, I think what ties it all together is that um, I've always been into performing stuff more than uh, endlessly uh, clicking around or uh, doing meticulous little jobs, because I'm I'm too easily bored for that, you know. So I'm even even the stuff that I've done, which has a very clear strong song structure or sounds very structured, is is usually uh, cut together from live takes. Um, um, yeah, that's that's the, my approach always has been. You know, I I I like to experience the the high of the moment. You know, and um, for me, it's very important to to have that uh, goosebump feeling uh, while mm -hmm. creating something. And um, uh, yeah, I do spend I do spend time uh, post processing things, but um, when the actual uh, ideas coming together. Um, that's usually in an act of doing something live. Um, so for dance tracks, that's that's easy because you can just record an hour of you know movement on the on the mixing desk or uh, 
turning knobs or tweaking things uh, trying to get a f uh, some tension into it or an arc or, or whatever um, but for more complex uh, structures um, uh, I usually usually those those tracks uh, come together at the same way in the same way but then are just slight you know uh, pieces just cut together of different uh, moments in in that jam or in that recording um, and that's what I feel more uh, most familiar with and uh, that I'm I can express myself best in that way you know just um, get it out perform it and and um, uh, don't look back <laughs> and is your sequencing generally hardware or software uh, uh, have you experimented with lots of different software sequencers? Or? Yeah, yeah. I've basically used all of them. I used I used trackers. I've used Cubase on the Atari. I've used uh, Logic, um, Ableton, um, and hardware sequencers. I've got the uh, the Circlon and mm -hmm. uh, some modular synth sequencers, and also analog sequencers, which are which are part of um, old old school analog synths. Um, they're very, very simple, more like arpeggiator style or 16 step style or whatever. But um, if you combine a few of those, you can you can get pretty interesting stuff as well. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I've, I've, I've used um, pretty much everything. Also Max MSP and Reactor and, and Kima. And um, so, yeah. yeah a bit of everything but um key thing is always even if if i am in software that there's some type of physical control that i can perform mm. the instrument or the, the patch or whatever um that's that's the thing that is always important for me mm. super interesting thinking because uh, I, I i'm really rubbish at recording things i think it's also to do with that sort of it's not that I don't want to. I really would love to be able to record things, but I just do get bored with my own <laughs> music very quickly. I love with your own it. music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, not not. Well, if I come back to something two weeks later, it feels okay. But it's just being able to focus on a track for long enough to actually get it to a point where you're happy to record well, that's it. Exact, that's it. exactly the same with me. That's why I record everything live. So I I basically got it. I commit it. And make a decision about it uh, this is it i'm temporarily satisfied um maybe i i tweak it in post here and there just to touch it up and make it sort of um sit well with other stuff uh but uh, once that's done i never look back that's it done and i don't go back after two weeks and, and think ah oh, maybe i should do this or that that's just a waste of time i'd rather start something new and and get on with it you know mm -hmm. And do you start a lot of your ideas in a software sequencer or hardware or both? Or? These days, since I've been in this room, definitely hardware, yes. Uh, um, yeah, um, I've got the space for it now, so it's um, um, it's nice to have... Um, I basically built a setup uh, for every project I do. Uh, so, you know, get some bit, bits of gear together, connect them in, in a certain way. That's usually something I work out in advance. Uh, what if I do this? What if I com combine this with that machine? When I I make chains of of stuff, you know, running three things through other things, and then uh, and then just uh, improvise with the uh, with the setup and and 
sometimes the setup stays there for a few days, sometimes for a week. Um, and it can change, it can grow, it can... Uh, um, but still, the system is very clear because it, it's, it's a very newly designed system or instrument. Uh, it's, it's a fresh combination, but at the same time, it's very versatile because you... I, you know, I've, I've set it up be, to be versatile. So there's, there's a, a massive range in, in all these little systems I use. So you can go from very abstract uh, drony to mad, you know, breakcore, you know, whatever, and everything in between. Mm -hmm. um, but that gives me the most immediate uh, control and also the most uh, quick results. Um, and if I get bored with the setup, I just take everything down and build a new one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do, you find like, do you find the way that your setup is set up influences the style of music that you make? Or do you think you no. set it up with the style in mind, I guess? Um, no, not with the style in mind, but with uh, um, and more, more like an aesthetic in mind. Mm. Uh, or some some technical thing I try to accomplish, or some combination I try I try to I want to try out. Um, so it, it's it's just a really simple and um, not very musical starting point. Often it's um, it's just a, a way to get started. Really, you know, it's uh, it's a way to get going. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, some things that happen are. Uh, in the range of what I thought it would become or could become, uh, but other things happen totally unexpected, and uh, and I usually go with wherever it takes me. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, the, I, I like the unexpected moments. When, uh, I even deliberately built in um, um, steps in the in in the setup or or parts in the setup that um, can deliberately create uh, unexpectedness. Um, so um, um, yeah, just whack some some faders and and see see what see what it does. Like you said before, like if you put something uh, that is running at 150 all the all the way down to 10, you get all these artifacts and things, microstructures you call them. Um, you get all these things happening that you didn't never heard when they when they were running at, at a faster speed, but they they start to happen because. Um, because the system introduces them, and mm. and then you can choose to go with them or or just leave them or uh, or even enhance them or or uh, emphasize on them, you know. So that's that's the way I work, really. It's just uh, it's like gardening, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so then you you just record uh, a large amount. Pick out yeah, the spots and then, I've, and then I've it's been, I've been, like a day yeah, later. I've, I've become no, no, no. Immediately. So after the recording, mm -hmm. I go. I I remember the moments where I thought something interesting was happening, and then I just zoom in on zoom in there. And I, the least I I do is is put a marker there or even bounce the part out, so I can refer to it as as a as a piece to listen to rather than uh, going back into uh, the arrangement and sort of relive the whole thing again. It makes us if you record long. Uh, takes it makes it very tedious and, and time consuming to to find stuff you know once you so i i pick them out immediately so i can and then save the whole thing as uh, with a name that represents the sound file so i can always go back to them so when i i i find a sound file that i've been that i've in in, in the collection and it has a certain name i only have to look for the arrangement or the the file that is that has the sequences or the audio 
and I open it and it's there exactly the way the audio file is bound so it's a, for me it's the way of organizing keep keep organized and, and uh, finding things and being able to access them quickly um, but I've become um, um, quite good in in picking out the the stuff that is interesting and the stuff that is uh, not interesting and you can be you can be tricked by uh, by this if, if something sounds amazing or has some aspects that you think are really cool but it doesn't have everything um, some people just try to fix that and try to put a lot of work in that afterwards to to make it sort of into something that is acceptable to them I don't do that I just uh, dismiss it instantly and I just go with the stuff that is actually something that has a story in it or that has uh, something interesting or intriguing um, without having to fix too many things about it you know so it's it's really mm. just a, a capturing a moment that's basically what i do yeah, it's like fishing i'm gonna go with fishing <laughs> <laughs> gardening fishing yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> cooking maybe cooking <laughs> yeah. yeah it's nice to think sure. about these things as um gardening i think because it's about growing something that's yeah. sort of outside of you but you're all really involved with um I'm, I'm less keen on calling it production because that sort of feels like you're um imposing rules on something or you're i don't know it, it feels like production and gardening are sort of opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of making things for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah production i know what you, about, I know what you mean yeah I know what you mean by fishing. It's it probably you mean that I stumble upon things and and pick them out or. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about David Lynch. He often talks about how he <laughs> like goes he fishes into the unknown and ah yeah tries to catch something. Yeah, I guess I guess um, yeah, you hear that those those words of mis wisdom from old songwriters. You know, the song writes itself, or it just comes into my consciousness from wherever. I don't know. Um, I think working with with um, electronic music equipment is is somewhat different than than uh, finding songs in in the ether or whatever. But because you have an interaction with the machines, you know, you have a control over what they do, and once you feel you have a grip on what you're doing, you can you can steer it and you can uh, uh, you can take things further and um, even. If if that kind of seems to be slipping, you can rehearse it and do it again. You know, so it's uh, um, yeah. It's I think it's it's more like um, um, uh, the the instruments are giving something back to you. There is an interaction. There is a dialogue sort of mm -hmm. taking place. I think. Yeah, I like I like the idea of fishing. I guess because. Sometimes I feel like it kind of like slips out of my hands when I've got the fish and it just like shoots <laughs> off and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to write this algorithm and then the computer takes over and <laughs> I don't know if anyone else gets that, but. For sure. Lizzie, do you record a lot as well? Um, I've started doing more. So I'm doing like a release this year with a Belgian label called In Unison. Um, so I'm, I'm actually kind of moving towards trying to, turn live ideas into like tracks I guess which is a lot harder than I thought it would be because <laughs> I'm so used to kind of just having this 
on the fly kind of see where it goes whereas I guess when you're recording something you want it to sound exactly how it you want it to sound throughout a whole track so uh, yeah I find that kind of difference between writing stuff for it to just be live and see what happens and writing stuff to actually have it yeah. kind of concretely there as a track so, I, don't, so, I guess so with with your music not when, when not when you're playing live or coding live but when you record <clears throat> your, when we record your stuff <clears throat> um do you think about everything on a different pace than when you are uh, live coding or is it coming together in a in an equally uh, uh, quick way or is it or is it uh, uh, do you take more time to consider things or mm. I guess I'm trying to figure that out still like I'm trying to mm. because I think it's a balance of uh, trying to figure things out exactly how you want them to be and just letting them like as you say when you do it you just let it go and see what happens and then take out the bits from that which you think create constructs this kind of like narrative or the story so yeah i think it's kind of a trade-off um the way i mean the way that i've been doing it at the moment and i don't know if it's the best way is to write it as if i was live coding and then record it as like midi or record it as audio separately into like a door and then you can kind of go back and tweak but i, I don't know i guess maybe that is moving away from live coding too much i don't I know, know. As, <laughs> when you're a purist, maybe, but uh, yeah. <laughs> to get to get something interesting, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's sure. a tool. It's it's a tool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I, but I do I do know what you mean about um, things feeling different when you're performing them versus listening back, because I often find that the time scales feel quite different, and when mm. you're performing, especially in front of a crowd, I feel like you can the time scale is seems slower. You can, you can like vamp on things or let things sit or simmer, but then listening back to a piece, you know, it often feels like the, the changes need to be faster to me. Yeah. I think that's it. It's a different relationship with time, isn't it? Sort of, if you're sharing that timeline with other people, that is a very different experience from just being on your own in the studio, mm. especially when you're looking at a piece of code, I think, because that's kind of almost timeless. It's just this. It's it, locked. It's, yeah. Um, oh. And you can get stuck in these loops um, and, and until you're just, yeah, tweaking things and tweaking things instead of just actually making music in time it's yeah it's, it's like you're outside of time looking in when whereas in your in a performance you're in in it in there with people um and i've been i've been trying to make an album um for years now i i did a crowdfunder which was really successful um, <laughs> oh well, so you've already been paid for it <laughs> yeah Great. yeah um <laughs> But that I was just a small detail. <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually mentioned the music. Um, and it's, yeah, the, the pressure of having the crowdfunder didn't necessarily help with that. Um, but it's something I really want to crack. So <laughs> it's really good to hear your techniques. And, and, and yeah, I think this is something that um, I certainly need to learn a lot about. Um, I did manage to make an EP once. Um, just do one in one day. 
do an album in one day, man. Yeah, you said one hour. Give yourself one hour. Yeah, just yeah. real, real time, it. a real time album. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I'm, that's what it needs. Just get someone to lock me in a room and not let me <laughs> out until. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we need to form a pack, Lizzie, and sort of work yeah. out how to do these. I'll give you the key to your room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yakima. Jakob, I find your I find your workflow really interesting because it's um, historically quite different from mine. Um, I tend to, you know, find something that interests me, be it a sound or uh, a, a drum pattern um, or a conceptual idea or an instrumentation. You know, I want to use this instrument or whatever, some technique, anything. Just something to sort of like jump me off. And then I start focusing really intently on that thing and I build it and I don't stop until I've done that one thing. And I like sort of that, that is my singular goal. Uh, and so I'll come back to this one sequence or however I'm working on it, I'll come back to it day and day and day, sometimes for, months um, until i until i find that that thing is done um i just keep going (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i just keep you know i find that being stuck you know sometimes i'll have to put it down and then i'll start on another one for a while and Mm. i'll have a couple of these going and sometimes putting something down and walking away for a couple days is the absolutely the right thing to do um you know, like right now I'm working on this piano record, um, which is totally new for me. I'm not, I'm not a pianist. I've never written a piano record, uh, but I'm, it's, I'm doing it. Um, cause it's a, it, this, the piano can be sequenced via MIDI. So I'm, I'm doing it with sequencers and I'm building these sequencers and all this stuff. And I've been working on this for, uh, at least a year and a half. And, um, when I go back and I, you know, part of that is building the tools because I've been building a sequencer at Max MSP. And so a large part of it was was building the sequencer and and uh, making sure it had all the functions that it needed to create whatever, I, you know, the music that I wanted to hear. And when I go back and I listen to the recordings, the scratch recordings from a year and a half ago or a year ago or even six months ago, they weren't ready. Mm. Um they were not, I didn't have the tool set to make it yet, I- including the recording process, you know, the sequencing, the composition, the recording process. Like it has taken me this long to sort of like mature all of these different areas to a place where it's even ready for me, the way I feel, where it's even ready for me to record the album. Um, but it's that's just a very different way of working it's like it it feels like this consistent sort of hard work like hard work ethic that's no, that's cool. made me keep going yeah it's but, cool. it, but, but, it, but but what you what you what you in fact are doing is um uh inventing a whole process and uh when i was talking about my thing i'm not inventing the process that's it's the same process for 30 years you know it's just the instruments and the the signal flow changes but um the process is the same 
So and you, yeah, you, if, I, yeah. if you build a sequencer and you, you work with a piano with solenoids and, and, and uh, you have this whole uh, complete uh, new system and uh, there's a, many factors in, in the whole thing that are un unknown to you, you have to learn about. So, so you're, you're inventing a lot of things uh, during the, the whole process and that, that is time consuming, I can imagine. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think my point in bringing it up is that different methods are appropriate for in different at different times mm. um you know my last two records i have been in, in sort of creating these sequencers and these brand new ways for me to approach like a workflow for this music mm. um but i also have done projects more like what you're talking about that have just you know i have all the tools and it's really just about using them and writing and and actually i've done the same as you i've i've committed things straight to tape that i can't like I, i'll even attempt to make them better and i can't like the way i first it was just about that initial yeah. flow of ideas and i and there's something in that that is better than me overworking it so it, it i don't know it's 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 an interesting uh, well, for, uh difference yeah, well, I, yeah I, but I, I, I totally understand what you're saying and, and uh, relate to the process because I've also been in uh, trying completely new methods or things that I wasn't familiar with and had to go to a lot of learning uh, to be able to do anything with it, you know, so it's, it's totally. unfamiliar to me. But at the moment, I just feel happier when I'm productive and, uh, totally. and uh, I... I really like um, to to do a lot. So once in a while, this really sort of unexpected, really authentic, uh, very pure thing comes along, and that's those are the things I fall in love with, and that's those are the things that I I feel that are part of the results of this way of working. And you know, so most of it is is average or not even worth mentioning, but there are some things that come along that are when everything clicks together and when when something beautiful um totally emerges and that's that's what i like um, totally trying too hard becomes sometimes i've i've been there too you know doing doing just sort of overthinking things and and be very obsessed with processes and then uh spending a lot of hard work on something uh to find to find that it's um, it's sort of um, you're proud of it, but you're proud of it because you worked on it so hard. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd rather, <laughs> you know, it's uh, I'd rather be proud of something right now in this point in my life that I uh, accomplished a, a sort of like a free-flowing uh, writing process that it's sort of um, gives me jewels once in a while and. Uh, or at least jewels to me. I like I like the authenticity of something that is very simple and very pure and very elegant, rather than something that is sounds amazingly complex and, and overworked. You know what I mean? That's, uh, that's something that I'm not into at the moment. I like the freedom yeah. of just creating. Yeah, it's interesting. I wasn't. I, uh, I'd hesitate to put like a, a value judgment in terms of like. Um, meaning hard work 
or or like obs- <laughs> really focusing on one thing doesn't necessarily, in my opinion, mean you're it's being I, overworked. I, I was talking just, about myself. I, oh yeah. yeah. The times <laughs> when I was obsessing with some something, it it sounded overworked to me. You know what I mean? Oh, my, yeah, yeah, my, my own stuff. Yeah. But but I but I relate, and I think that there there like different workflows for different results at different times. I mean, you know, one one other one other aspect I'm re- I'm realizing about probably any field, but electronic music or music in general is that so much of it is also about learning. And I get really, I get really excited about learning. And, you know, here we are about with title cycles, you know, it's been this huge learning process for me. And I get, I get excited to learn new things because it means that eventually I will be able to have that fluency and that flow with them where things can flow out of me quickly and then you have it's like it's like you've grown this new superpower you can do things that you couldn't do before and you can they're now part of your system they're part of your vocabulary um so yeah they they both they both excite me i think the learning and then the like realization that eventually um you will be able to flow with them Mm. Yes, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Kind of putting a lot of work into getting to a point where you don't have to work anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's a real experience with coding. Like sometimes I'll think, oh, I really need this feature. And knowing that it's going to take me a month where I won't be able to do anything else apart from work on that thing. Um, and that, But then eventually you get something where I don't have to think about it anymore and it's just a way make live music um but somehow i haven't managed to get to that point of development developing something where i'm developing an album it seems (laughs) and it it seems like a different activity it's either working on the fundamental um underlying system um and then popping up to make some music but actually make it so i'm developing something fixed that can be listened to more than once um, yeah, difficult. But yeah, you're right. I should just just do it. <laughs> um, yeah. So you got any interesting email, uh, Ben? <laughs> my uh, uh, the the food delivery for my son did not appear to be there. So it's one. I think I'm guessing it's one house away. Yeah. These are cor- quarantine quarantine issues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Um, maybe we should um, ask if there's anybody in the comments that, uh, because I've, I'm so sorry we've been ignoring you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if there are any specific questions for us, um, uh, you can post them now because we're sort of nearing the two hours. Um, so. Uh, let me see if there's something coming in. Hello, people. Maybe in the meantime, um, there was one one thing that I um, uh, I found very interesting because we, we're now we're now really talking about writing music um, for the last um, hour or so. But I think the whole what what surprised well not surprised me what amazed me was the 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 strong culture and the ethos around the whole life coding um 
uh, movement. Um, maybe Lizzie or Alex can can talk about that for a bit because I think that's a pretty um, special uh, feature of the of the whole life coding thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, something I wanted to talk about actually is sort of the development of a community as part of the making of music. Like when you're around, when you're developing music, if you're only making music for a scene that doesn't exist yet, um, it, somehow by making that music, you're making space for things to happen in. Um, wonder if you had any reflection on that as well. But um uh, him, but um I guess um we we've been talking about the actual nuts and bolts of making music a lot, but actually making a successful event that's just one part. Um and there's so much that goes into making something really special happen. Um just making the space happen available in the first place is a huge job but um sort of building up a whole ethos around an event and um kind of building values into it and uh, making it accessible for different kinds of people um making sure especially with something like computer music or electronic music making it so there's no snobbishness around it or um that, uh, do you know what I mean? It's, it's actually hitting the notes and making the sound is just part of that. And um, um, yeah, it, it, it feels like making an event is really sort of imagining a different reality almost. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's been how, how much of music making is about the actual sound and how much is it is about making being part of the community and sort of um yeah i was also sensing a slight bit of uh social commentary because you know if coming from the vibe of that scene because um it's like you know people are we're all living our lives very much on computers or digital devices and and uh all we hear is um, uh, how evil algorithms are running our lives, and then, yeah. there's this, and then there's this scene who are basically taking taking them and doing them something for them rather than being run by them. So I thought that that was a, an interesting angle to look at it. Yeah, just opening up like the fact we project our screens during the performance, people can see the algorithms and sort of see that they are fundamentally human. Mm. Um, I don't think that necessarily makes it easier to necessarily makes algorithms less scary. It just sees an alternative approach to them because I'm generally fearful of what Facebook is getting up to and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I think I think the like freeness and open source really ties in with that as well. Of like, rather than them. Algorithms being things held by like mass corporations and Facebook and like, it's like these things that are held by the people who are using them. So yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah, it's about um, making stuff rather than controlling stuff. I guess that's the fundamental difference. Mm. A lot of a lot of software is made to 
control what people do or surveil them. Um, I don't want to go on too much of a <laughs> my trip. <laughs> yeah, but, but just showing that software can be um, is fundamentally human, and that if 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 software is doing something bad to you, it's it's uh, a person doing something. If it's also doing something good to you, there's a person behind that as well, um, and it's a space that we can use to share stuff and. Um, but I'd always like to try and think of um, this stuff as part of a longer history of um, people engaging with patterns and uh, algorithms, um, thinking of algorithms as part of all our lives, whether we're making a cake and following a recipe, that's a kind of algorithm, or whether we just worked out our own workflow, that's another kind of algorithm that we're approaching. Um, and especially if you look at stuff like textiles, which is just full of algorithms like or weaving structures or um, all these things are full of mathematics and language and discrete relationships and stuff. Um, so yeah, that's a whole other rant. But um, yeah, I think as well, yeah. like people hear algorithm and they think it's something that's gonna replace humans in the in the kind of creative process. Um, and like a lot of the press that I've seen around Algorave and the scene has been talking about it as like the future of dance music and like a way yeah. to re replace DJs, which is just kind of backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every six years, um, Wired magazine has written an article <laughs> um, with saying, yeah, Algorave, the future of electronic music or the DJs of the future will be coding. Um, but that that kind of assumes that actually there's something wrong with DJing, like <laughs> playing pre-recorded music or mixing stuff together. With, yeah, like twelve tens are like fantastic technology um, developed for longer than Tidal, and uh, you know, it's, it's thinking that something as different as Tidal would ever be able to do something like uh, um, uh, a sequencer even like you can do amazing things with uh with cubase that you could never do with tidal and it's all just different approaches just trying to find different ways of doing things but not necessarily better um but somehow journalists love picking that tagline that something it's, is gonna it, you know in the end it's it's another another tool added to the arsenal of tools to make music yeah totally in, 100%. And it's totally a continuum as well, like you've talked about Max a lot, and that's totally a live coding system. It's just got a, um, a box and wire interface, but there's still words being composed together into um, computational structures, and um, and that stuff's been around for ages as pure data as well, and um, early computer music stuff. There's always, always code underneath. Um, I guess with live coding, we've just brought it together and made a sort of community around it, um, and made the kind of code something visible um, and maybe a bit tangible as a sort of creative material. Um, but it's just like development of stuff that's happened before. Yeah. Awesome. Pretty good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, really good stuff. I mean, um, I think we should, uh, it's, it's about two hours. I think we should uh, um, wrap it up. 
um, and uh, uh, again, I've been ignoring the people <laughs> in the group. <laughs> uh, talking about communities, we have a, a Discord server set up, um, where and the, the link should be in the in the uh, the comments or in the YouTube description. Um, we basically use that as a, a hangout uh, to uh, to talk more about the these knob twiddlers hangouts uh, with the people who are uh, neglected. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's anybody who wants to uh, uh, continue talking to us, um, um, you, by the way, you were invited, Alex and, and Lizzie and uh, Ben to, if you have time to hang out there, if not, it's yeah, fine. Um, so yes, uh, Discord service now, it's a growing thing. We now have about 600 people there and um, it's a really becoming a really fun place. So uh, I encourage you to uh, to take a look and um, and join us there. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you all for joining. Is there anything, any last thing you want to say? Or maybe something you want to plug? Uh, any project you're working on, or uh, something you want to share with the audience here? Um, yeah, I can't think of any. We're gonna have a like tidal twenty-four hour. Um, thing around the next new moon, which is middle oh, marathon, tidal marathon. Yeah, we're gonna have one stop <laughs> online streams. That might be one way to sort of, yeah, get in with the community. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, try it out. See, yeah. yeah. But I should also say there's loads of other live coding systems like Foxdot, Ixilang, um, what else is there? Gibber. Um, Super Collider, I guess. Collider as well. Yeah, <laughs> Um, and if, yeah, so yeah, there, there's a whole community around this stuff. So if you go to topflap.org, um, you can find all the other ones as well. Title's just one part of this uh, jigsaw. Cool. Yeah, I just want to say thanks for uh, thanks for making this and sharing it, and um, thanks for yeah. having us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. it's been a real privilege. Thanks for having some. Yeah, thanks fun. so much. Yeah, and I guess. Check out the albums we make when we lock ourselves in the room and force <laughs> yeah. ourselves to actually write. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks a lot, everybody. Off to Discord and the Bandcamp pages of everybody here involved. So thanks a lot for joining, and uh, you. see you later. Ciao, ciao. Bye.